Hey everybody, this is Ash from the Rated NA Podcast with an exclusive interview conducted at this year's San Diego Comic-Con 2017. If you like the show, please subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. We've got a ton of additional content coming out of San Diego Comic-Con and new shows each week in our feed and on the web. Enjoy the interview. I'm Ash from NerdAppropriate.com. Um, my question is, I, I recently read that there was, in the original version, the original version got pulled from theaters um, and then re-released. I was wondering if you guys had seen the original version and if you incorporated any elements of the original version that was pulled from theaters into the new version. Well, the original version was just, it was actually, I think, on a, on a, uh, a disc set. I think they actually released it in, um, in some way, like on a DVD somewhere. And three um, endings. Yeah, and it... it uh, Did it? Yeah, they pulled it after like I think it was in the in the theaters for two weeks and it got bad reviews. So they pulled it and reshot it. And I think they used these three different directors. And um, you know, the first one I think had some sort of a it had some sort of an alien puppet, and I think it didn't go over well. And so then they took the alien puppet out and the original the, the no, they sent it actually to the spaceship. Oh, the first one they sent to the spaceship. Then they had the pup- oh. they had the puppet. Yes, giant like weird looking puppet <laughs> and then I think that didn't play well and so then they, they ended up using like light and seance and stuff like that um, which is much creepier but the original book actually I mean we didn't really we, we tapped into some of these things and like um, kind of uh, I liked to use the book after I, after I read Scott's version then went to the uh, book and looked at the book and to see what things I could pull just slight things just little things like um, I was saying before like Ellie in the book is scratching her knee and picking at a scab the whole time. We never really saw her from the waist down very much, so it was hard to do that kind of thing, but like a little, like little things throughout, like in the original book there's a tree, and so the tree was important, I think in this, in this version, which isn't really in the original movie, but as far as the original movie goes, it was, I was a huge fan of it as, as a child, and um, had watched it so many times that I had certain parts ingrained into me and didn't want to go back and rewatch the movie until I knew we had our movie set and how we were going to do it and then um, once we had the script and we were ready to go and we did pre-production, we did location scouting and everything, my son and I, who was 10 at the time, sat down and watched the original together a few days before we started production. Just because I wanted to see what his perspective was, what was important to him, what was scary to him, what worked for him. But I didn't want it to taint my version of what we were doing either. You know, I really wanted to have my own standalone version with the memory of the movie that I loved as a child. Okay, so wonderful. I'm, so, I'm from Ranker slash Total Nerd. It's a social media. And so my question is, so especially with Lifetime and especially with Melissa, you guys, horror does not, you know, spring to mind when I think of those two things together. So what kind of made you guys want to do a horror thing, especially that Lifetime would then allow you to do such, like, a scary movie? It's not horror it, considering what is considered horror today. I think it's more gothic thriller. Okay. Much in the way that the others... Is a gothic thriller. Uh, it's not. Nobody's head's getting chopped off. We're not squirting blood anywhere. Uh, it is much more a ghost story uh, than it is real horror. We, we're not big horror fans. Uh, I mean, Serena was really light and fluffy, and <laughs> that's kind of what we're known for. But uh, this is scary without being grotesque. Scott, you want to have it? Yeah, you know, I, I, I am a big horror fan, but one of the things that, that attracted me to this project, I mean, I'd seen the, the original movie, was that it was, it was the, the kind of horror that I understood to be horror when I grew up, with the Hammer Horror movies in the 60s and the 70s, and maybe before Leatherface and Jason, and, and, and things became splatter. 
and and that's and that's a whole other planet. But just um, a good gothic tale well told. I, uh, a couple of years ago, I did an adaptation of Rosemary's Baby for NBC, and to me, the master of that was the man who wrote the novel. Probably no name, a name not, not probably very familiar to you, a man of Ira Levin, who also wrote Stepford Wives. And he was the master of the horror of the mind, and that's really what this is. It's, Shifting reality, what's real, what's not real, and, that, and that's why this is, is scary. But I think certainly found a home with Lifetime because it it's um uh, it, it, it's really about what's what's to be believed, what's not to be believed, and the suspense is really in a lot of what's not seen and, and more than what's seen. That's funny that you say that from a writing perspective because as a director, I watched a lot of Hitchcock because Hitchcock liked to do the same. He just loved to scare people. He loved to tell stories, and he loved to tell stories that freaked people out. And, uh, and so, I, I, especially The Birds was something I watched over and over again while making this. Kelly Bedard from my entertainment world.ca. Um, and I just want to talk to you a little bit about casting. How did you decide which actors to approach and um, anyone you found in an audition process? What was it about the first time you saw them that you thought that works for this character in this particular property? Well, for someone like Miss Zalewood, um, Angelica's role, um, that was a wish list of actresses that we wanted to get and that mom wanted to get. And Angelica was top she was of our list. Top so of the list. When she said yes, that was like done. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Miss Zellwood. I thought that she would be a really interesting uh, embodiment of the character because she's a little different than the character that Betty Davis plays. Um, I felt that Angelica was um, really uh, there was something appealing about her. She was more vulnerable, I think, than Betty Davis is in, in the uh, in the original. But and then the others, everybody else was uh, auditioned. Everybody was cast. But in the UK, where we shot this, even the people speaking in American accents are British citizens. Uh, I mean, everybody auditioned, but we got amazing actors. Di Botcher, who was, uh, I mean, even some of the smaller roles where people are famous from faces Downton Abbey from, and Doctor yeah. Who and. Uh, all very famous UK actors. When there was an amazing when, talent pool to pull from, and we kind of had a hard time picking just one person for each role. Like um, Ellie Bamber was someone we looked at for Jan, but Tallulah, I think Tallulah is just who plays Jan. Is I mean her and Nick, um, who played Mark. Nick Galatine is a, an amazing actor. Yeah, he's so just been working and nonstop since. And as they, soon as I saw saw him, I said. <gasps> All teenage girls are going to fall in love with him because he is. She just, insisted on Nick. I thought he was. That's the cutest <laughs> thing ever. And Tallulah is like. She should play Jennifer Lawrence. She looks like Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence. <laughs> but she acts. She's just incredible. She, the two of them are going to go on to do amazing things, and we're going to say we gave them a version. Okay, my English is not good, but uh, how have or your? Technique? Do you want me to read it? Yeah, please. Okay. Um, how have you taken on the challenge of being a director and producer in an era that has been linked to so many technological changes and where the public is becoming more demanding? Well, that's a, uh, you. you know, audiences are much more sophisticated these days. They're used to seeing a lot of different things. Um, one of the devices that we used, and so, stop me if I repeat myself because I feel like I'm answering a lot of the same questions sometimes today with the panel and everything. But, um, you know, there's the device of the original movie of um, using the watcher's POV to frighten to frighten you, to, to confuse you, to not know who who's watching us, who what's going on here. When I watched it again with my son, my 10-year-old, um, he was freaked out by that element. And that's been used a lot. I mean, most most famously, I think, in Jaws is the one I can think of. But, like, you know, that just gets used a lot. And these days, I don't know if that's that scary anymore, but watching it with my 10-year-old, 
and he just kept out. Every time the POV happens of the watcher, he's just grabbing on me going, who is that? Who are we? Why are we watching? What's going on? And it would freak him out. And I was like, this still works. So we just sort of aged it up a little bit, used it in, um, you know, particular areas, uh, added some of the wind stuff and gave it a little bit more, um, a little more grittiness. And, and I got to use a drone, which made it sort of a little bit more. Drone was a lot of fun. That, that's something brand new to us. Well, because you get to really, like we got to bring the drone all the way back from the back of the house, fly it over the house and then up to the window and look at them in the window. So it's, it was really cool to be able to um, use it flying like a ghost, like an angel, like, you know. Looking so, right in the windows. You know, you have a, an operator, you have two, actually two, one operates a drone and one operates a camera, and you have the, this drone flying into the window and just actually looking in the window. We, we could just, just give it that, that. new, really cool. sort of modern, more modern technology feel and I mean at the end actually because we had to beat it up to cut it quite a bit um, from the original that the end of the movie I wanted the credits to play over we have the drone pulls away at the very end and goes up out of the woods and we were surrounded I mean we were in like acres and acres of woods and the drone just starts spinning and like looking at the woods and looking all around at these dense forest and you can't see the cast anymore below and whatnot and I wanted the whole credit to play on that but unfortunately <laughs> it's too long. R.C. Semo with Fanboy Nation. Um, this is another adaptation. There was a movie and then there was the original book. How do you try to stay as true to the original as possible without deviating from the author's original version? And you said you had let your son watch the original movie. Have you let him watch this version? Do you want to skip the first part? Um, well, there was a group repeating myself. I, well, um, or maybe that's a previous uh, group. Um, when I first um, w was uh, brought on to the project, I had been. I, I remembered watching it as a boy um, in the theaters. I, 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 w um, I wasn't quite aware of the cult following that it had, so I was aware that I, I, I was going to be adapting or reimagining something that was very special to people. And so my first thought was to keep um, the soul and spirit, if you will, pun intended, of the story intact. And yet, um, bring it up to modern sensibilities. I mean, my, my, my daughter at 14 knows a lot more about what's coming down the line in a story than I did when I was 14. Um, so it was a matter of building in the mystery of um, who the watcher is, what the, what they are, who they are, um, and that and that is different from the book and the and the original. Um, what is the same is, quite frankly, the tone. That, that we're not we're, that we're that we're we've gone to another place where the normal rules don't apply. It's a gothic ghost story, and we're not going to see any gratuitous blood. What we're going to do is we're going to stay true to the suspense of the piece, and that I think was very very much a, a, a part of even the original movie and certainly the book. Uh, and the book, one of the things that I think Melissa has touched on was that I very felt I felt very much that in the book, even more than the 1980 movie, the the, the, the woods were alive. And I, I wanted to be very, very true to that. Um, yeah, that's true. The first movie, it felt, I mean, it was the watching in the woods because the woods were there, but this this one really feels like, because there was like, this one has, we are in the woods for so much of it. I think the first movie, they're kind of, they sort of run through them, but like, if they're not, it doesn't feel like they're really like in the forest like this one does. Ours is a living, breathing creature. The, the woods is scary in itself, and I think we make it even scarier. Um, knowing that there's something in there, but we're not quite sure what. But it this is. one we do. This is a ghost story. This is not a sci-fi. Like the first book and the and the movie. What was confusing, I think, about them was that they were, it was it, it went sci-fi. And um, but it doesn't go sci-fi till the end. It doesn't go sci-fi till the end. And it doesn't really it didn't really make a lot of sense, which is why they had so many endings, I think. So I think 
what Scott was brilliant at doing was making it making it clear who's watching them and what he wants. He, she, it wants. Whoever they well, might be. Well, and there, this story, in our, in our incarnation of it, this story has been alive since the 1300s, that something happened there, and therefore these woods are haunted or a character in itself, so nobody goes in the woods. That's our whole thing, is that nobody ever goes in these woods. And why not? Because people disappear. And where do they go? So that's what our story really gets to, is that uh, there's something there, we don't know what it is. It's not like something just happened there 10 years ago, uh, like in the original, I don't remember how many years it was, 20-something. Uh, ours goes way back. Something happened a long time. When we got back from production, um, Andrew would say something about, have you seen the Stranger Things? And so then I started binge-watching Stranger Things, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, it's a, it's, there's, a, there's a similarity between Watch from the Woods, the new one, and they, Stranger Things. Our story was there first. I'm Rafael Chino Magazines, and this is for everyone, especially Melissa. Um, you have been doing quite a lot of uh, producing work now. Uh, what is it about producing and directing that appears to you that you like? Well, when I was 17, 18, and Clarissa, my first show, Clarissa's when it all ended, um, this one to my left didn't want me doing um, every job that came my way. You know, she didn't want, she wanted to protect me as far as the audience I had built on Clarissa and Nickelodeon. And, uh, the kind of roles that I was going to take. And so she started our production company, and it mainly started with Sabrina. And so um, she found the comic book from the Archies, and she turned it into a movie, spun it up to a TV show. What is it, 163 episodes, three TV movies, an animated series, a book, book collection, video game, franchise, you know. And so on Sabrina, I had the opportunity, because that was such an interesting production. It was one of the first hybrid shows, really. It was We shot film, three-camera film, with no audience, but it was a comedy. So it was... It was this weird hybrid that now they do a lot, but at the time it was it was really rare. But because of the effects we had and whatnot, so I started directing. I was producing it, um, but by producing it gives us control over the things that Melissa does. So then I have a true voice. I'm not just an actor for hire that stands there and gets told what to do by the director, by the producer, by the. I've been on sets before where I'm not the producer, and I've had a fight about earmuffs. That was like the stupidest fight ever. I had a massive head cold. I was ice skating, so you can easily figure out what movie it was if you. And I was gonna no, and I was going to. Um, I, I was afraid I was gonna get an ear infection. I have to cancel production, and I was really sick. And I just thought it was cute, little fuzzy earmuffs. I was like, I should wear earmuffs. And the producer came on set, and she goes, "You can't wear earmuffs. They look stupid." And I was like, "I'm wearing the earmuffs because a, I'm gonna get sick. B, they're cute. And <laughs> see, I don't. I had like crazy huge perm in this movie too. So like, what do you care what I look like?" I'm going to wear the earmuffs. And we have this huge fight about the earmuffs. So ever since then, I've been doing No, I've been producing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's tough sometimes because you have no, um, you have no ground to stand on a lot if you're not a producer. And that's why we partner a lot uh, on whatever so that I can be the voice too. I can be the bad guy. you know, Because uh, I'll go up to a director and say, no, I don't think that's going to work here. We need to do it this way. But she's not always on my side. <laughs> there were times in Sabrina when I wanted to do my own stunts and she were used to let me. I can't let my star do her own stunts when she gets hurt. <laughs> I can't do that. No, there are times we don't always get along, uh, but for the most part, we, we, we do okay. <laughs> We've been partners for uh, 37 years. Well, who years do you trust more than your mom? You know, I mean, like, you, who do you, you know, you're going to have big all-out drag-out fights, 
SantaCon, we had some good ones. <laughs> that was fun. I was directing that, and uh, yeah, she freaked out on me a few times um, publicly. And uh, <laughs> but you know, but then you you work through it, and you know, someone's got to be right, and then say sorry and you move on. Jasmine, the hashtag show. Uh, Melissa, are you in any future talks with CW for projects? CW. The they CW. Even, are they around anymore? <laughs> CW. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you guys follow my Instagram, we do have some big things coming up pretty soon. So um, can't say anything now. If you, if you follow my Instagram, yeah. If you are you talking about like Riverdale or yeah, yeah. Oh, Riverdale. No, 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 not Riverdale. We're not connected with with Archie Comics or anything in that awesome. no, Not any longer. No, no, no. no. I didn't even have to see. Oh, I'm thinking of WB. I'm like WB doesn't oh, exist yeah, anymore. Yeah, That's what doesn't exist anymore. Other two letter numbers. But no, so there, there are other projects, perhaps, but it won't be a Sabrina reboot. We no longer have the rights, and that's gone away. That's and that, I think she's probably going to be on Riverdale. So yes, the rumor. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. It's not. Well, they'd be foolish. It'll not be some to. hot. Yeah, are you kidding? It's going to be like Bella Thorne. It's not going to be. Amazing. <laughs> I think that's a producer and director. That'd be amazing if you're able to like control your character. For some reason, but they no longer want us. It's attach. not our character anymore. Okay. It'll be a very different Sabrina. Well, if you've seen the new comic, I just happened to be in a grocery store the other day where I saw a comic book because I was trying to find something for my son to read at camp, and I was like, oh, maybe there are some comics. And Sabrina is, she's a sex pot now. Like, it's totally different. She's Miley Cyrus. It's not Sabrina like she was. <laughs> so. And we do have to wrap there. Thank you guys oh, so, so much. Oh, can we just get one more quick one? Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, my question is, during you guys' panel, uh, you were talking about an attic scene where you had to cut out a lot of stuff. Can you tell us now what were some of the things you had to cut out? Oh, well, that scene, the attic scene specifically, was one of my, oh, it's a heartbreak, but it was, um, it was a very big, it was a very shot. long scene with a push-in on the camera, and this girl is looking through the attic, and it's Karen. I had all this amazing, yeah, Karen is there, and she's looking through the attic, and I had, like, this rocking horse that rocked by itself, and we had the lights go on, and, like, dust blowing around, and something falls, and a music box plays, and, like, this huge, long, and now it's, like... <laughs> Now it's like 10 seconds, and it was yeah, like a minute and a half. She, find, she finds a book. She finds like, a book, okay. pulls the dust off, goes, oh, I got it, and she leaves. Yeah, so, um, so unfortunately, it's not as, it's not as dramatic. It's not as cinematic either. either. It was really beautiful, but yeah, it, in a, in a long-form movie, would, you know, if it was playing in the theaters, it would, it would be there. But um, there were some things we had to cut some corners just for timing and whatnot. So if it maybe goes to uh, directly to Blu-ray, do you think if there's a, a DVD, can we talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we would do. We would do another. Yeah, I have a director's. Cut, we had actually sure. when Andrew was doing all the post-production because he was in charge of all our posts. We talked about doing a longer version. Which we have. We actually have director's cut saved. We right? have it saved, but, but we just. And we have the scenes that were cut too, so you could also have the scenes on the side. How long is the one now? Is it ninety-eight? No, it's eighty-six minutes. So it was ninety-eight. It was ninety-eight minutes long originally. So, yeah, so we've cut twelve about, minutes yeah, out, so which 10, is a 10, lot. 10 yeah. But we will. It's hard to find thirty seconds to cut out, let alone twelve. Now a lot of things we're, we're just sad to see go. October twenty-first. Much for listening to our San Diego Comic Con 2017 coverage. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at NerdAppropriate, Facebook slash NerdAppropriate, or email us directly, Matt, Scott, or Ash at NerdAppropriate.com. We're going to be at PAX West in September and we'll be on a number of panels at the show, so keep listening. Uh, for more information and more details leading up to the event, we hope to see you there. <laughs> <laughs>